You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. Lots to pack in today's show. We'll look back at the crazy tests at Lords last week, as well as the first Ashes test that starts at Edgebaston later this week. We've also got interviews with two bowlers who enjoy bowling at Lords in today's pod, Glenn McGrath and Tim Murtagh. I'm Yaz Rana and today I'm joined by the Wisdom Cricket Monthly duo of Joe Harmon and Phil Walker. How are you two guys doing? Hello Yaz. Yeah, Very afternoon, good afternoon, Yaz proper wisdom show today um let's start with that extraordinary test match at lords england bowl out for 85 on the first morning tim mercer bowling one of the all-time great spells at the home of cricket five for 13 ireland post 207 a handy 121 lead before jack leach opening the batting in the role of night watchman scored 92 before england collapsed to leave ireland needing 182 for their first ever test win and then ireland obviously bowl out for 38 on a crazy third morning i mean phil where do we even start with with that test uh, oh God, good question. It's the extremes of, of cricket again. At lunchtime on day one, Ireland were in dreamland. And on lunchtime on day three, they or just after lunch on day three, they were they were faced with the horrible reality of having posted comfortably the lowest test match inning score in history at Lords. Um, despite that, they would have strolled away from Lords feeling hopefully reasonably chipper uh, about the performance that they stumped up there. Um, Tim Murtagh, obviously, on the first morning was everything that uh, English batsmen would have had nightmares about. And uh, at lunch, there was the sense that something magical, really magical, had already happened. Whatever was going to follow from there on, something already quite marvellous had happened. Five for 13, I think it was, Murtagh. Um, and interestingly, the the book he still had England overwhelming favourites, even having basically given up an innings first up. Uh, and in the end, you know, experience told Broad and, and Wokes did did the business in the fourth innings. Uh, but it was it was joyous and uh, in in many ways bizarre. You mentioned Jack Leach. Jack Leach. Jack Leach was man of the match. He scored nine point five percent of his first class <laughs> runs in his whole career in that innings. <laughs> And well, that sums it up. It was a bizarre three days of cricket. And it's a shame that Ireland didn't win it. 
you know, and I speak as an England supporter. It's a shame Ireland didn't win it. It would have been marvellous. As it is now, we just park that, put that down to a peculiar fever dream for a few days before the the main event. But how glorious would it have been if Ireland did it? I think Niall O'Brien said on the morning of day three, strap yourselves in for what could be the greatest of all Irish sporting stories. And although there's an element of hyperbole to that, it's not far off. It's a shame from a neutral's point of view that they couldn't pull it off. But what a what a peculiar bizarre three days cricket from an English point of view um, the collapse on day two was arguably more worrying than the collapse on day one Tim Bur- Tim Myrtle was bowling so well that that kind of thing can just happen in cricket whereas on day two Jack Leach looked he played with reassuring simplicity block the balls on the stumps leave good balls and hit the bad ones that was quite worrying that collapse on day two right yeah until Roy missed a straight one playing a loose shot that he was obviously absolutely furious about afterwards. It looked like him and Leach could just bat forever, which is a weird thing in itself when you're talking about Jack Leach batting forever. Um, but yeah, and I see where you're coming from. I think as much as there were some shocking passages of play in that match that we perhaps didn't see coming, they didn't reveal any new shocks about this England team particularly. Uh, we went in knowing, knowing that England have a very flaky top order. We went in knowing that Moen's really badly out of form with the bat. We know that Bairstow is having a real horror run with the bat. These things are already there. So whilst they were shown up in an island game, it wasn't like a, a shock horror. We also remembered that we have a fantastic group of seamers that are going to be very hard to, to pick from. And it kind of encapsulates the weirdness of their game that almost it, it sits on its own and doesn't necessarily inform anything else in that Leach, the player of the match, has been dropped. Uh, there's a good chance that, that Wokes might not feature at, at uh, Edgebaston potentially, uh, if Archer is considered fit. So almost that game has just been forgotten. It was a kind of a, a kind of outlier of a warm-up game that has, has had a little bearing on, on much at all. Apart from possibly if Joe Root ends up batting number three. Perhaps that shot. Is there a rumour that he might? There's a, de- there's a definite rumour there is. The suggestions and some of the things that Bayliss has been saying over the last couple of days. Um, that he's He said, I made no secret of the fact that I'd like Roy yeah. to bat three. To repeat that now, a couple of days out from the Ashes, leads me to think that it's, it's at very least being talked about seriously. Um, I'm not quite. The suggestion is that that means that Roy drops down to four. I'm not quite sure what what that solves really. If you have if you have Denley and Burns as your openers, that is concerningly did you see, weak to me. Did you see Nasser Hussein's prospective eleven opener A and opener B? Opener A and opener B with Root at three and Root and Roy at four. So if Bayliss, as I understand it, Bayliss seems to be alluding to the same lineup, right? Although um, I think they will be t- picking two openers. Yeah, NASA. sure, yeah. sure, sure. But I, I can see the logic of that. I mean, as I've said to you before, Joe, Roy as an opening batsman seems like a push. Roy as a number three, feel, you feel like he has a puncher's chance. Roy at four becomes more and more persuasive. I can see both sides of the argument. What I can't see is how that's changed over the course of a, a one match against Ireland. If he was good enough to open against Ireland with the assumption that he would continue to do that job in the Ashes, I don't see what's changed over that period of time to, to cause well, such alarm. Well, one thing that has changed very quickly is, is Rory Burns and how people are viewing him. Last summer, he was one of the players of the English summer. And it wasn't necessarily the runs or lack of runs that he scored. It was how he looked when he was batting. Yeah, look, it was agonising. He made six and six from 24 and 25 balls, respectively, with no boundaries in there. He was out, uh, caught behind both occasions, one to Murta, one to Rankin. The first one, he was trying to hit mid-on to a ball that was seeming across him, going down the slope. Uh, And the second one, he was defending pointlessly to extra cover. Uh, It's a sporting travesty when you see a player um, 
so higgledy-piggledy, so scrambled by the the sudden absence of form and how that dismantles your movements, dismantles your game bit by bit. And and it's it's a cruel slice of luck on Rory Burns. Five 5,000 run seasons in a row, 1,300 and plenty last year as a championship winning captain. There was not one person following English cricket who didn't overwhelmingly say he has to open the batting for England and we have to give him a proper run. He made six... He played six test matches over the winter, made two good 50s, I thought, made a tricky tricky, tricky 50 at Palakelli in a game that England won and a good 80-odd at Barbados in the first test before missing a straight one, a tick before lunch against the, the part-time off-spinner. You know, 16 away from a good 100 against Gabriel Roach uh, and Holder. Uh, he's batted twice now in England, faced 51 deliveries and he's, he's yesterday's man. It, talking again of NASA... Uh, Bumble also picked his team. Atherton also picked his team. None of them had Burns in their team. None Vincent of them had Milan were featuring quite yeah. a lot. Well, that's quite yeah. interesting. Um, he's obviously hanging on by his fingertips. I had an inkling, as I said to you, yes, last Friday, that he might, after that, after the nature of Lords, he might have been dropped. I think looking at the, the where his technique is at the moment and knowing what's going to come, knowing how he's going to get bombed by that cohort of quicks... I had a sense that England's selectors might have just overlooked him for this first test match. As it is, I'm glad, from a sense of fairness, that they've gone with him for this test match. There was an argument, potentially, to drop him without entirely discarding him, in the sense that if he's in such poor form, is it beneficial to even to him to put him into a test series uh, against the Australian pace attack? and to send him back to county cricket and try and get some runs. Now, the obvious issue, he wouldn't get much of a chance to get county runs in between, which is the issue we constantly have with the, and, with the and fixture also, schedule. It's quite frustrating because some people will dismiss him as a player, oh, well, he's got runs in county cricket, he couldn't do it in test cricket. That's not true. He's a good player, and he's just out of Nick full stop. There's nothing to do with him playing test cricket and I'm able, able to do that. The way Rory Burns batted at Lords last week was not how Rory Burns batted. He is, his technique is unconventional at the best of times, but it's not that. Mm. Um, and it's quite interesting because we're here at the Oval um, and he was working with Neil Stewart uh, Sorry, today and I don't know it's quite interesting seeing how he's gone back to uh, Sorry coach and obviously when he's scoring all these runs at Warwickshire he's he's been He's been using Gary Palmer's services, the man who helped Alistair Cook towards the end of his career. And, and but, helped uh, me through the, the latter stages yeah, of my yeah, career so as well. Yeah, we'll come, famously. We, we, we'll come to Gary Palmer in just a minute. Yeah, so we were watching this morning, Burns with the Stewart brothers. So Alec feeding and Neil, who is Rory Burns' mentor since the age of eight, uh, standing on the adjoining net, watching from from the side as if he's got silly point to Burns, watching studiously as he, he goes about. He couldn't have been physically closer. No, he couldn't. And Burns has said to me before, whenever he has a slight issue with anything technically, he always goes back to Neil Stewart. He thinks he's the best batting coach he's ever come across. Uh, it's no surprise that he was out there on Monday morning before the biggest week of his of his professional life. Uh, as I say, look, I'm really glad that they've they've given him a go here. He's hanging on by his fingertips, unfortunately. Uh, but cricket is a peculiar game. And if he can eke out a good 40 somehow, you know, a little bit of luck as well. Luck plays its part, right? He didn't nick one last year. I was looking through his scores of late. The, the last last four, four innings at, at the Oval, he's nicked off early on three out of four. Um that that kind of happens when you're out of form. He nicked. He played a missed once at Lords, 
and he nicked two. You know, another day you play a miss half a dozen times, you have a bit of luck, maybe a catch goes down and you're away. Uh, by no means should we be writing him off because he's been the preeminent opening batsman for half a decade in, in county cricket. But but this is the issue with picking him now, that if he does fail twice, maybe four times against Australia, then perhaps he does get written off. Perhaps that's just a line struck through his name like there have been with probably Jennings or Lyth in the past. And I think that would be a real shame because is I don't... Is he in your team, Joe? He was in my team, yeah. For, for this upcoming game? He is, yeah. 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 I mean, I have to say, without a huge amount of confidence, yeah, sure. and I was tempted to to drop Burns and, and play Sam Curran just because I think Sam Curran might score as many runs as Burns and Burns has got that extra bowler but mm-hmm. I think if you do that too many players end up batting a position too high mm-hmm. uh, and also I just think it's it, something it's just a messy way to start a big test series to have yeah. a to have a kind of ill-matched side yeah. uh, and I think you've just got to give an opener a proper go and I think it probably should be Burns he didn't look out of his depth in the winter did he he didn't nail down his place sure but there were moments where he looked to be moving in sync with test match cricket and he looked like he had a chance he got out in weird ways as well didn't he he was caught down the leg side twice run himself run out run out once yeah the concerning thing for Burns I think is as well that he there are a lot of people who you're absolutely right when he got picked everyone thought it was his turn but prior to that there had been a lot of people saying well I'd He's scoring runs in county cricket, but I don't think his technique's up to that. And now people are using this poor run of form as justification for that for those thoughts previously. Well, it's funny how quickly a county story that is one to celebrate, you know, a self-made cricketer who, who, who gets to the top of the county game by his own means and his own methodology. It's funny how quickly that can be flipped on its head. You know, now he's in certain quarters being held up as some kind of exemplar of that which is sort of iffy and questionable about county cricket that... There's a unique and sort of esoteric puzzle to scoring runs in English cricket that doesn't really apply in Test cricket pretty much anywhere else. Uh, and I feel sorry for him that he's kind of been put into that bracket. Mm. You know, he, he follows Alistair Cook, who, who was no one's idea of a, of a flawless technique, you know, and yet found a way to do it. Um, my heart goes out to him, I have to say. I like him as a bloke. I've interviewed him a few times. Um, he's the kind of cricketer that you, you root for because, as I say, he's not overwhelmed with talent but he's found a way to get it to get it done he's deserved his shot and it would be a shame after 10 innings or so when he hasn't disgraced himself for him to have been stuck on the on the cart I want to ask you a bit more about Gary Palmer your, your personal oh, yeah. batting coach Let's do um, it. because to a non-cricket fan it is interesting that a guy who's in the England team goes back to his club side to get the coaching when he's out of form there's a little quote from Alistair Cook on working with Gary Palmer. He said, For the first time in my career, I've had a batting coach who is purely just technical. In one way, like a golfer has a swing coach, yep. Gary is that swing coach. Right. So that Why aren't there more Gary Palmers, basically? So that would have been from three, no, four or five years ago, probably now, when, uh, when Cook went and sought out this renowned, slightly eccentric, very, very likeable bloke, Gary Palmer, a former Somerset cricketer who didn't quite cut it for that long at Somerset, uh, and has since become a specialist batting coach with a specialist methodology, uh, or philosophy, if you like. Uh, and in short, it's essentially, he advocates batsmen squaring up more to the bowler. So squaring up the shoulders, squaring up the hips, squaring up the feet. So you are facing the bats at the bowler uh, more square on than the traditional side-on approach, as, as we're taught uh, when we're kids and so on. Um, more and more, as you watch um, top top end cricketers, you see that this is the way that they play. You watch Steve Smith play; he's a very good example. Interestingly, just as an aside, Ben Folkes, when he went on that Ashes tour, 
spent a lot of time watching Steve Smith, as everybody spent did. Spent a lot of time watching Steve Smith. And came back for the following summer with a Smithian technique, which uh, has echoes of Gary Palmer's approach. What Palmer did with Cook was get him to face up more squarely to the bowler, uh, which in turn then accesses the V. So as it's the old cliche with Cook. Oh, if he's hitting mid-on, then it's a good day for Cook, right? Well, Palmer was specifically working on that. He's also worked with other England players um, who, he, who he once told me not to divulge publicly. But some of, the, some of these players he's now working with officially. And Dominic Sibley, uh, I think George DeBell from Crick Info mentioned that, that Sibley has been working with Gary Palmer as well. Gary Palmer has a kind of a makeshift net behind uh, a, a shopping centre in Oxfordshire. I've been there myself. He, I had a morning working with him. And, and it's a very, very interesting and quite persuasive approach, I think. Um, the idea being with certain players, they get closed off through the leg side and they end up falling over. They play around their front pad. Well, Palmer's approach is to clear that front pad away. Uh, now, there's, you know, there's, there's swings and roundabouts with this. You can say, okay, well, you're not accessing the cover drive as much because your, your front foot is, is more pointing towards mid-on than mid-off, right? So there's various different uh, back-and-forth arguments with all of this, but uh, it, it has quite a lot of currency, and he was employed by the ECB, Gary Palmer was, a, a couple of years ago to work with some of the Lions players um, and to put forward this idea. I think there is a lot in it, actually. So is it right that... Now they brought Marcus Triscothic into the setup as a as a batting consultant for this course of this series. Now Triscothic's international career stands there in its own right, as his county career does. But he's not a coach at this point. Should they be going to someone like Triscothic, or should they be going to someone like Gary Palmer, who is a specialist batting coach and has obviously had great results with some very well established players? Why do you think that there aren't more specialist batting coaches like Gary Palmer? I mean, Cook said it himself, and he's not been used that much. I'm, I, yeah, I'm. I'm imagine and this is kind of me guessing that Gary Palmer you said earlier Phil that he's he's so single-minded about his craft he's evangelical about yeah, this theory that, yeah. that it's quite difficult to go for just a, the odd tweak here or here or there I mean Cook went as a kind of sort of remodeling of his of his game so if a player is very comfortable with their game but just wants something to be looked at then you could find yourself in quite a difficult scenario where too much is trying to be changed on the eve of a test match. So I, that, I guess in that sense, it makes sense that players go and seek him out when they feel in enough trouble that it needs to be fixed. Whereas do you want someone like that there all the time? Potentially, because a lot of the international players really just want reassurance. Yeah, They just want to be told that everything they're doing is, is working well for them. Now, obviously, when an issue crops up, you need to fix it. But perhaps Palmer doesn't fit quite into that into that slot as neatly as someone like Triscothic does. You've also got to earn a crust as well. And someone like Gary Palmer has no real public profile within cricket and and there are very few who are in effect freelance independent batting or bowling or fielding coaches who can who can make ends meet you know i mean this this is this is the the ongoing challenge really for a lot of coaches who are very good but are outside the system and until you get on the ecb's payroll you're always going to be struggling a little bit to hold it together England have named their squad for the first Test match. Ten of the eleven that played at Lords are in it. Player of the match, Jack Leach, is the only one to miss out. And it's plus Joffre Archer, Ben Stokes, Josh Butler and James Anderson, who also make the team. England have some serious issues with their batting. Um, this is a list of their England's Test batting averages since the start of 2018. Folks top with 41.5. Butler, 40.78. Root, 37.3. Wokes, 33. Curran, 31. Stokes, 28. Cook 28, Bairstow 26, Jennings 25, Stoneman 24, Denley 24, Burns 22, Leach 21, Rashid 20, Darren Milan 19 and Moeen Ali 16. Traditionally in recent years England's 
lower order has got them out of jail quite a few times. Mm. In that first test match, there's a chance that there's Moeen at eight with Besto at seven and no Chris Wokes and no Sam Curran in the side. That's a very, you know, that doesn't fill you with as much confidence as as England batting lines have had in recent years. No, and that is more of a concern. We've almost got used to having uh, no top three and you just keep thinking the middle order will get you out of trouble. And that that has continued to be the thinking, but actually it's just not true. Those numbers that you give there, Moen averaging 16. Uh, Bairstow, what do you say? 26. Yeah, I mean, those aren't play- those aren't figures that are going to get anyone out of trouble. Since Bairstow... Stokes, 28. Yeah, well. I mean... I mean I, I, I I'd be amazed if Stokes doesn't average higher than that in this series. Exactly, I think Stokes has, uh, in the in the last few months, has looked a totally different player There's in all an formats. to put him up the order, I think. Yeah, well. absolutely. Um, Bairstow, basically, ever since he started opening in ODI cricket, averages 27 or 28, which is uh, nearly three years of test cricket where a player of his talent's averaging under 30. And to repeatedly be bowled by straight balls I mean we've people have been talking about moving him up the order there's even a suggestion that him and him and Roy might open the batting in a test match I think we're all getting a bit overexcited during the World Cup there and that I mean that just can't happen can it he's, he's actually lucky to have his place in this side really if folks was fit he's got a side strain at the moment hasn't he I think uh, if folks was fit you could very much argue that he should come in for Bairstow bat at seven and, he, and he's the better wicketkeeper Bairstow's made five noughts in his last seven uh, innings in England or is it matches in England I, I know he's got seven noughts out of his last 27 innings full stop right which is a lot yeah uh, it's the form of a number seven and nothing more than that really um, well, is generous. it is, is even well indeed yeah indeed yeah so is Bairstow looking to bat seven is that the the, the mood around this uh, I think that's pre-match? right I think that's right with uh, Stokes and Butler to come back into the side Bairstow drops from five to seven, yeah. Uh, as you say, Bairstow batting at five with those stats—that's just that's just not on really at the moment. Mm-hmm. So seven's a more natural position, um, but yeah, I mean th- those those figures are just so alarming. There is a sense that we certainly got in the first innings against Ireland. He goes out there so pumped up at the moment that you feel like someone needs to try and calm him down. I know there's the Owen Morgan said you need to kind of harness that energy, and and you saw that when he scored that that brilliant hundred in the World Cup when he came uh, in with some criticism, but. Uh, at the moment, it feels like a, a weakness in Test cricket that he's perhaps got, got, got to get into a different zone uh, and just see out that first couple of overs because those number of ducks are, are, are telling. Early today, Joe had the opportunity to speak to Ireland's hero in the Lords Test match, Tim Murtagh. Looking back at that first innings, that incredible first morning when you took 5 for 13 and skittled England for 85, did you approach it any differently with it being a test match or was it just like another day at the office opening the bowling at a ground that you know so very well? Um, I guess in one way it was. just It was lucky that our sort of surroundings were obviously, as you say, very familiar and tried in my sort of best to treat it as a county game almost and I'm bowling at Jason Rory and Rory Burns for Surrey for Middlesex basically but obviously it's a bit more special than that and I felt a bit, bit more nervous I guess um, than, norm- than I normally would before a game but I think that, that kind of seemed to go quite quickly I kind of settled into it in the first over and kind of um, those kind of nerves went so yeah I mean as much as I could I was trying to treat it as another game but obviously it was you know the biggest game that I've played in in my career so um, it was important that we kind of soaked up the occasion as well and and sort of um, enjoyed it as much as we could there are a few guys in your team who haven't played much first-class cricket, let alone test cricket. Yeah. Did you see it as your responsibility to, to kind of settle them down or, or even kind of lighten the mood a little bit in the lead-up to obviously what was such a big occasion for Irish cricket? 
Yeah, definitely. I think the, the days leading up to it, I kind of tried to get around, especially the bowlers, just speak about um, the slope at Lords. It obviously is quite unusual to sort of play on a ground like that, and a lot of the guys hadn't played there before. So, um, yeah, I, I saw that as kind of part of my role as a senior player in the team, just to try and um, get the lads as relaxed as possible and sort of as familiar with the surroundings as they could be before the game started. So, yeah, I mean, you can say as much as you, as you, as you want, but I guess it's up to the individuals to um, kind of take it on board. And I thought they did really well. The bowlers, especially, you know, Mark Darebold, I yeah. thought excellently yeah. throughout the whole game. Um, and Boyd Rankin and Stuart Thompson as well. So, yeah, it was, it was, I guess that was part of my role as a senior player. And what about the the mood and the aftermath of that defeat? Because obviously there was a huge amount to be very proud of in that game, but then yeah. the final day obviously didn't go as you'd have hoped. Uh, were there some very down cricketers in that dressing room afterwards? <coughs> yeah, there was. It was what a weird kind of feeling because everyone was so sort of high after the first two days. You know, we I thought won pretty much two days out of three, and we've had one bad session on the third morning. But that happens against quality bowlers and. Um, a quality team and you know they blew us away that last morning and I kind of said at the end don't be too disappointed and you know that kind of spell of bowling would probably have blown away a lot, a lot better teams than us so um, yeah I think after the initial kind of disappointment there was a lot to be happy about we had all the families in the dressing room and they kind of helped lighten the mood I guess um, and, and sort of made us aware of what a special occasion it was for them as well so um, yeah, it's obviously disappointing to get blown over like that, but you know those conditions were, you know, almost unplayable, sort of with the quality of, of seam bowling that England have. Is it right that you have a dinner with Ed Joyce to thank for this chance to play international cricket? Yeah, pretty much. It was just spoken about over, I think, 2011, something like that, about eight years ago now. Um, he kind of just asked about my heritage and the name Murta being Irish and I kind of said well my granddad was born in Ireland and he kind of put me in touch with the um, performance director of Cricket Ireland who was quite keen to sort of get me qualified and, and get all my documents in order that I needed to do to be able to play so um, yeah I'm thankful to, to him thankful to my granddad I guess for, for being born in Dublin to give me that opportunity as well so um, yeah that's how that all came about uh, you're 38 in a couple of days I believe I Is am yes right? yeah yeah uh, you still seem to be bowling as as well as you've ever done. That's at least the impression from seeing you the other week and yeah. over the last couple of seasons. Um, what more are you hoping to achieve with Ireland? Have you still got a few, me few more years of international and county cricket in you? No, well, I, I have to choose one, basically, at the end of this summer week as Irish players can't play domestically um, as local players in England now. So it kind of it's getting to the stage where we have to choose one or the other and... Um, I still haven't sort of made my mind up. There's discussions to be had with both sides still. So, right. um, yeah, unfortunately, that kind of um, loophole's being shut or whatever. So we can't we can't continue playing in county cricket as local players. So I'm going to have to make quite a tough decision at the end of the summer, really, just sort of which which way um, I want to keep going.
Okay, on England, uh, just wanted to get your view. We seem to be perpetually locked in debate about the, the openers, and many have been yeah. tried, and, and none have quite yeah. been able to nail that spot. You'd have bowled at pretty much all, all of them over the over the years, I'd imagine. Are yeah. you able to put your finger on why so many have fallen by the wayside? Are you seeing clues in county cricket that, that the rest of us aren't, aren't picking up? Um, I guess every, um, a lot of people want to bat in the middle order now. Whether there's an actual shortage of openers, I'm not entirely sure, but... Um, it is look in England. It's, it's tough work facing the new ball. Um, the wicket's been better this year, but the last couple of years have been sort of tricky for those guys, especially at the top. So, um, and it's difficult. Anyone who's done well, at, you know, all the guys who've been tried have done well in domestic cricket. Yeah. So it's not as if um, they didn't have any kind of form behind them when they when they started playing. It's it's just obviously another step up which is which they're finding tough um especially in in this country so i you know you're gonna have to ask someone who's knows a bit more about batting than me but um <laughs> but uh oh, enjoyed yeah. your innings in the, uh, at Lord. <laughs> yeah there for a good time not long time <laughs> um it's it's yeah as i said it's tricky and a number of guys being tried and i guess they've just got to try and stick with a couple of, of guys and give them a good good solid run but um, that's always difficult in test cricket your kind of techniques get pulled apart don't they in one game and um, you have one bad test match and you're under pressure so um, you know that's that's the nature of international sport I guess not just cricket you know that scrutiny and um, all the analysis that comes with it is, is always going to be there so um, as a young opener in England there's no better time I guess to be sticking your hand up and, and wanting to have a go so um, yeah, it's, it is tough though. Who, who have you found trickiest to bowl at? Either guys who've been tried <laughs> or, or potentially are still waiting for their chance? Um, I'm probably a bit biased, but Sam Robson for me technically is, is as good as any of those guys out there. I've played a while in Middlesex. He's scored 200s quite recently in the Championship. I mean, Dom Sibley's obviously scored a lot of runs and, and, and can't be far away from get an opportunity at some point um, he's technically pretty good as well I mean some of the other guys Zach Crawley I've never played against so I wouldn't be able to tell you about him um, yeah. but I mean they're all at a similar level in, in that you know they're hard work to bowl out in county cricket they, they're all good players um, but I guess that kind of pressure and that spotlight stepping up a level is, is tough to kind of um, manufacture so, Joe, Ireland came so close to Murtabol brilliantly, but I thought what was quite encouraging was that Mark Adair, one of the young'uns making his debut, was crucial in both of those England collapses. I thought he bowled really nicely. Yeah, I heard him out a few few years ago at Warwickshire, uh, coming through as, as a really exciting young player. And I think he's they had... let him go, right? Yeah, well, yeah. In so, order for him to play as well. Yeah, and all Ireland players are going to become overseas players yeah. at the end of the season. Well, that's a, that's interesting. So it's Irish players with will, him, isn't it? Irish players will count as overseas players from next year, but he's Northern Irish. And um, I'm no legal expert, and I'm sure neither of you are either. But I'm not sure if you can legally bar a UK citizen from working in the UK on the basis of where they're from in the UK. I could be talking nonsense there. That's a very good point, and yeah. well beyond he's, us he's on this Northern podcast. He's Northern Irish. Um, <laughs> Still why we're here, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I've really liked him anyway. He bowled, yeah, bowled well, excellent. good pace, swings it both ways, and yeah, it was... I mean, look, look like a bowler as well, shaped like a bowler, you know, and bowls that kind of heavy ball. Just, sorry, in brackets, I wanted to just have, have mention Ollie Stone, who I was very oh, impressed yeah, with. Uh, I'm tempted, if Joffre Archer isn't fully fit for Edgbaston, and it's better that they, they hold him back for Laws and onwards, then I'm mightily tempted to play Ollie Stone at Edgbaston. I, I fear a one-paced attack 
uh, if England go in, say, with Stokes, Wokes, Anderson, Broad, um, I'd be very tempted to play Ollie Stone. I thought his spell on day one, <laughs> after 15 wickets had already gone down, I thought it was excellent. And he, he cleaned up Balburnie, who was playing nicely for 50-odd with a Jaffer and two 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 wickets in that spell, I think. And he bowled sharp. He hit Porterfield, a sickening blow on the helmet. Um, he offers something a bit different. Uh, and and uh, he, he looks, if he's fit, like he can do a job at Test cricket, I think. I, I don't disagree with that. I, I can't reconcile picking him for the first Ashes test ahead of Broad or Wokes, effectively, isn't it? So who, who yeah, would you... Who I, you... I, I said this to you in the office. I said uh, I, I'd pick Stone over Wokes and then he <laughs> took... Then he then Wokes took six for 17 and three three wickets without Cazinia on straight afterwards. Yeah. But for that logic, it, I think if, if Archer isn't fit, I mean, England were desperate to find a fast bowler for ages. Two came along at the same time. They're both injured now. So I don't know. The one pace attack thing is it is hard to argue against, but it does feel like that classic start of a new test series perhaps get a bit overexcited and want to tinker with too many sure. things. And Broad has taken, what, 444 test wickets. Wokes averages, I think, 22 in home tests in England. To drop one of those for a bloke who has spent more time injured than fit in his career so far, hasn't really bowled much this year, but can bowl pretty quick, seems a, a, a risky one and one that you might think kind of two hours into a test match. Not not really sure about that. A bit like when England dropped Broad for the first test in, in the Caribbean. Uh, different circumstances because for, for Sam Curran, they weren't going for extra pace. They just got the conditions wrong there. But I'd still really struggle to, to drop. Actually, I was listening to Alistair Cook. I was mulling this over as well, listening to Alistair Cook on TMS. And he was just like, well, yeah, of course you picked Stuart Broad for the first Ashes test. How can you not pick that experience? Yeah. And, and the, way, the way in which he said it, I was like, well, yeah, perhaps we're silly to even be debating this. Yeah, and, and he will almost certainly play on Thursday. Ahead yeah. of Wokes anyway, I think. Do you think, think Broad uh, and Anderson play? I think a lot of it hinges on Archer. You know, yeah. if Archer is, is not deemed to be fit enough, then I think Broad plays alongside Wokes. I if think Archer's if, fit? I, I think if Archer is out, definitely fit, and they, they believe he can do five days, then Wokes probably misses out, yeah. Yeah, harsh. But, yeah, very harsh. It yeah. is harsh. In, in, in my team... Um, I'm 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 overlooking Broad and we picked it for the website today. I bottled it and just claimed that Archer's not fully fit because it makes it easier to pick the side. Uh, and then it's it's sort of a kind of a playoff between Broad and a playoff between Broad and Wokes for uh, for the second test really because Archer when he's fit has to play. Yeah. Australia have named their Ashes squad. Uh, just one spinner in it. No Joe Burns. Siddle returns. No Alex Carey and Michael Nisa uh, are more than handy all round and made the cut. And Cameron Bancroft's back. Cameron Bancroft is back. I saw a headline in Australia putting the band. That's very good, back wasn't together. it? Very very mm, good. Nice. Nice. Um, I spoke to Glenn McGraw earlier today about his thoughts on the Ashes. Glenn was was uh, speaking. That's the same terms, are you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, okay. Me and Glennie. Glenn was is working with online trading broker Think Markets to encourage more young people to get into sport through the Think Twenty Twenty initiative. This is what he had to say. Uh, so, Glenn, you're 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 famous for your pre-Ashes predictions. What are you going for this time round? Yeah, no, I'd occasionally make a prediction and so I've thought this time I'm going to sit on the fence a little bit and just see what happens in that first test. I think if the Australians can get off to a great start and, and win that first test, I'll be coming back out and saying 5-0, definitely, but uh, I'm going to wait until the end of that first test. Australia have got a plethora of seam bowling options, yep. Pattinson, Cummins, Stark, Hazelwood and Peter Siddle as well. Um, if you were picking the team, which three would you pick for Edgebaston? Yeah, it's going to be tough. Um, you know, Pat Cummins is just bowling incredibly well. I think he's number one at the moment. and you know, So he'll definitely play. Hazelwood, they'll, uh, they'll be keen to get him back in playing. And I think a lot of it will depend on what the pitch is. If it's doing plenty, they want guys that can hit good areas. Mitchell Stark, 
uh, on his day, if he's swinging the ball, is as good as anyone. But some days, yeah, the, the radar's not quite switched in. And James Pattinson's just been playing or bowling incredibly well. And just the attitude he brings and that aggression, you want him playing. So it's, it's a tough, tough choice. Uh, if it's a flat deck, I think Mitchell Stark will play. If it's a bit of a green deck, then maybe Mitchell Stark will miss out and I'll play um, Pattinson. With Siddle's experience of playing in England, the way Tim Murta bowled against England at yep. Laws last week, would you be tempted to try and get Siddle in the team if it's a green pitch? Uh, yeah, you want to play everyone, don't you? So, especially when the ball's moving around. And Sid's has got so much experience, can just land the ball where he wants. And if it's just seeming around and the Duke balls with that big seam uh, is brilliant to bowl with. You know, someone like him could be pretty effective just on that length. You know, it's tough to score, one mistake and, and you're out, and that's what Test Cricket's about. So, yeah, we'll, we'll wait and see what the pitch is doing, and yeah, there's a lot of options. You had a great uh, record bowling in England. As an Australian coming from Australia where the conditions are slightly different, what do you have to do as a bowler to, to adjust to English conditions? Yeah, it's a slightly different length you have to bowl. You have to get a little bit fuller. Um, you know, in, in Australia, just really hit that pitch and get that bounce, but you need to. You know, use the, the seam movement and the movement off the pitch um, here in England. So you've got to get a little bit fuller. And I think back to that 97 series, we played the first test at Edgebaston. We bowled pretty poorly, uh, the wrong length. England won by nine wickets. The next day, we came off our long run for two hours out in the middle. Um, and Jeff Marsh, our coach at the time, got us to bowl that right length, get it fuller. And you know, that had a big impact. We went to Lords, um, played well and then went on to win that series. So, yeah, we learned from the first game, but hopefully you know, a few of the Australian bowlers have been here before. Hopefully they can adapt from previous experience and uh, not need one test to get underway. On England, England also have a lot of uh, options in the scene bowling department. A lot of guys have done really well, particularly in English conditions. Um, you think that Anderson and, and Broad play and Archer as well, would, would those be the three that you pick? Well, they'll be keen to play Archer. There's been a lot of spoken about him. Um, I, I think he's a quality young bowler. He's got a massive future in front of him. I like the way he goes about it. He's nice and relaxed running in. He can generate really good pace, good control and good bounce. So, yeah, there's a lot to like about him. We saw him in the big bash back in Australia and, you know, I was impressed. So I think he's got a big future in front of him. But to adapt from one-day cricket to test cricket, uh, you know, it takes a little while and you need that experience and hopefully guys like Jimmy and Brody can help him adapt a little bit quicker. So yeah, it's uh, I'm looking forward to seeing both bowling attacks this series. On Archer, um, some have compared him to you actually, the way in which he bowls very stump to stump. Um, so, yeah, what, what have you make, made of Archer start his career and do you see any of him in you? Um, any of me and him? Yeah, that, that, uh, that way around. But, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I would like to have you know, bowled at his pace and done it as easy. So, but yeah, you know, I think he's he's got a, a massive future in front of him, and you know, he's got everything he needs to be able to perform at Test cricket. And you've got a couple of senior bowlers there I mentioned before. Um, you know, so yeah, he's uh, he's he's quality. And one final question: um, England look likely to be opening with Jason Roy. How do you think he's going to go? And do you think he's got the technique that um, that, that will thrive in Test cricket? Yeah, that's going to be you know, one of the challenges for England. Uh, I think in one day cricket he knows his game so well, but if he goes out and approaches it the same way in test cricket, I think he might struggle a bit. He is a shot maker, but you've got to be able to adapt your game. And um, yeah, Warner did it. Warner started off one day cricket and adapted his game to test cricket. So for Jason Roy, he needs to do that. Um, but yeah, that's going to be you know, one of the big battles this series, how Australia's bowling attack bowls to their top order if they get on top of them early get Joe Root in 
um, a lot earlier than he wants to, then that can have a big impact too. So, Joe, which bowlers did you pick for Australia? They've got Pattinson, Cummins, Stark, Hazelwood and Peter Siddle as well. Which three would you go for? Oh, God, it's really tough, isn't it? Um, I would certainly pick Cummins and Pattinson. So then it's between Hazelwood and Stark. Um, as McGrath said, I'd just, I think I'd just look at the conditions. I'd be tempted. I think I'd go with Stark. But it's really harsh on Hazelwood, particularly when the, the the narrative was that he missed out on the World Cup so that he could be Save fit, up the ashes. fit and why, ready why for the Why didn't he play in the World Cup? <laughs> yeah. No idea. It's weird. No idea. Uh, It'd be hilarious if he then doesn't play in the ashes because they're arresting him for the ashes. The reality, uh, with the, the fixtures coming thick and fast, they're all going to play. They're not going to be able to do what they did in the ashes down under where they just played those four bowlers throughout and they took all the wickets. I don't think the they? tests are going to last that long. They're only bowling that, 20 overs <laughs> a test. Is, that is very possibly true for the reasons we've just discussed. Yeah. Um, I think Bancroft coming back in, I, I mean, I, he's now going to play, right? You, I think, I think you so. Think he will? I mean, there's an argument he batted brilliantly in that Cape Town test, I thought. Yeah, made 80-odd, yeah. Really he, good. he was their leading run scorer in that series. He scored loads of runs in the Sheffield Shield. He's done well for Durham. It's an uh, argument he just slots in. I mean, I've read some pieces saying, well, Australia have done this because they had to kind of reconcile with the past of, of the ball tampering. And nah. until they had, I just think he was he was the man in possession. Um, fair enough, Joe Burns came in and scored some runs. Marcus Harris scored some runs. But against weaker sides, Bancroft knows English conditions well now. Joe Burns, by contrast, has played quite a bit of county cricket and never done well. Um, I can see that as a, as a sensible move and um, it certainly makes for interesting viewing, isn't it? Yeah, and at the moment... Wade's in form, Bancroft's in form, Head's in form, Labuschagne's in form. We've got Steve Smith, David Warder. Phil, how do you see the series going? I think Australia will win. I think Australia will win 3-2, maybe 4-1. Uh, I think their their pace attack is terrifying. I think they have four, uh, of which you pick three. And Nathan Lyon is a brilliant off-spin bowler. Uh, they have those two big lads coming back. Um, Steve Smith's machine David Warner thrives uh, on being some kind of panto villain he's not got the best record in England though not, not got the best record but he's played well invariably I think in England he was brilliant at Durham in, in the game that they lost um, back in 2013 he made a brilliant 80 odd in the second innings and looked like he was going to win that game for them but you're right but I don't think that's because he, he's technically questionable really I think I think Warner will 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 have his day. Uh, it, it's going to be a bowlers series, um, and my fear with England is that in bowling conditions, uh, they fall over just too many too 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 regularly. They've fallen over four times in a session now in the last year and a half or something crazy. Crazy. England, England's bowlers are very very good though. Joe, do you agree with that? They are. I I um, boringly agree with Phil's um, prediction. I put a little bit of money on on four one. I think 3-2 is perhaps more likely. Just the odds at 4-1 look quite quite tempting. Um, yeah, I think when we talked about the last Ashes series, like, well, England have definitely got a much stronger middle order. And I, and I think that's probably still true, but then just not performing that well. And I think in a low-scoring series, I just back Smith and Warner to score more big runs than I do England's big batsmen. Uh, and I think you're right, the, the, pace, the pace attacks are, are both very, very strong. Um, but I, I still think Australia's is a bit stronger, uh, certainly a bit more intimidating. Uh, it's a really big series for, for Mo and Ali as well. I mean, we've had some great weather. You'd think that the spin is going to come into it. Uh, Moen just doesn't look like a confident cricketer at the moment. Now, he's, he's bowled very well in England in test matches for, for a while now. Uh, is he going to be able to recapture that when his, 
his place is really under threat as we well. We have said it about him though, haven't we, a few times going into big series. And you're right, he's he's obviously such a mercurial cricketer, but he could easily just go to Edgbaston so, and just take six or seven for yeah. you know, and, and then then he's sort of back. And really. they'll take him on as well, which always gives him a chance. Warner yeah, will come at him as, as he did last time. Ben, ben Garner is writing an article as we speak on Moeen, and he did a, quite a lot of research into this. Moeen is is like no other all rounder who's ever played. In on, only once in Moeen's Test career. Has he averaged more than thirty with a bat in a series and less than thirty with the ball? He's either good at one of them yeah. or the other. Yeah. And right now he's really bad with the bat, but he's also been. He's averaging about twenty three with the ball though, isn't he? In, yeah. So in, in, in that period where he averages 12, was it 12, with the bat, twelve months, more than so right. more than. And so he's not he's not ball. really an all rounder. He's just so right he, now he's just one he's, thing or the he's other. He's a batsman yeah. or a bowler, not yeah. not both. Um, so I don't I don't think his position is under threat that much. I think he's bowling so well and has done. He's, he's been England's leading wicket taker in the last two series that England have played in as well. So yeah. I think I think he'll be fine. Uh, I think it's just a massive series for, for England's big guns. It's Root, Stokes, Root. Butler. Right, Root. Finally. It's a huge series for Joe Root. Joe Root has yet to uh, fully establish himself as the captain of the test team, uh, which is not to say that he won't. But by, the, but by, by mid-September... Uh, he could be completely settled and comfortable in the job. Or, Joss Butler could be captain of England by by the end of September, genuinely. Um, th- there was always a, a, a sense with Root, when they gave him the captaincy, there was no one else standing for it, granted. But he's so precious, he's such a champion, supreme batsman, uh, that there was that fear that traditionally... Captains have to accept that they you know, they take a trade off for the glory. They they maybe lose one or two digits on their average. With Joe, because he's so so great as a batsman, there was that concern, and there's yet to be overwhelming evidence that he's able to 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 manage those two requirements. Um, it was all right, okay. It was a hiding to nothing in Australia last time out with Stokes not there. Of course it was. I thought he conducted himself great, but. Uh, England lost, of course, abroad, you know, in, in the West Indies. They very nearly lost against Ireland. They lost against Pakistan at Laws last year as well. Uh, he doesn't seem yet to have the, you know, the sh- sort of sharpness and the creativity and the authority that you get with the really good test captains. That said, it, it, this could be his defining summer, but it could work both ways. Uh, I would not be surprised... If uh, before the year is out, Joss Butler is the captain of the England Test team, I would not be surprised. Ben Stokes has just been named as the vice captain. Why do you think that was done? I think because Stokes is the perfect vice captain. I think PR wise, it's it's good. Uh, I think he, I think on on the on a kind of ethical level, I think it's fair. Uh, but I also think that Butler stands more chance of being the long term Test captain than Stokes does. I don't think I think Stokes will always be the the ideal. Vice captain, provided he goes to bed at half past one rather than two o'clock. I think that's all probably fair. I think the the issue comes about if Morgan decides to step down as as and one day captain. You which, assume Butler take, yeah. Which I really, sure. um, from seeing the interview he did with Rob Key on Sky Sports, I, I really thought he was. He didn't give too much away, but it felt like he was leaning that way. I mean, he was saying, "Look, I need to know that I'm still going to be here in four years, and that I justify my place in the team, and that it's right for my family." He was giving a lot of reasons to not necessarily continue. Right. So then, if Butler comes in. I mean, you can't give someone the whole lot yeah. now. I know Williamson does it for New Zealand, but he's kind of freakish they, in that they, sense. And, and, and Coley is absolutely freakish in that sense. And they don't play as much cricket as England do. And and India rest Coley yeah. a fair bit as well. It's a could, could I also add as well, just on this, before people start sort of piling in on on the comments about Root, there's no there's no disgrace in in not having a 50-test match career as a captain. 
there's been many, many great, great cricketers who have taken it on. It's not quite worked. The the alchemy of the moment's not quite there. Sachin. And Sachin, but many, many, many others, really. And uh, th- there's no guarantee that just because Root was given the given the armband that he had to make a success of it and he would be a failure if if they were to agree pragmatically at some point okay you know you've had 20 20 test matches it hasn't quite worked get back to being the best player of a generation and this can come from him as well he can ask himself does does he actually enjoy this job does he does he relish this job I remember Graham Swan who admittedly says a lot of things but has shared a dressing room of Joe Root saying he's just not the right choice as captain that's nothing against him as a as a person Uh, in some ways it's to his credit you don't want to diminish the things that he's really good at and it's still too early to say either way and I agree with Phil this this summer will will go a long way to telling us either way whether this is something that should be continued for a long period of time or whether we just put it down to he's not the best person to lead the side primarily because of what he can offer us uh, elsewhere. Very quickly, I, I th- think this is Australia's best chance of winning in England since 05, but I still think England will win it. The same problems existed last year against India and England somehow won that 4-1. I think... This How did that happen? Yeah. <laughs> Getting back, I, I was trying to remember it. England had exactly the same problems, and now Sam they've got. Curran, and now they've got. Of yeah. and, and Coley scored loads yeah. of runs. And now England have Archer, and I think that I think Stokes is. I, I hope and think Stokes is going to have one hell of a series. I think he's going to average fifty with the bat, and he's going to be the one who scored the runs that Curran basically did last time. And Butler, I think, is a better player than he was. He's played more Test cricket. Um, and I just can't see Root being out of Nick for that long as well. So all right, I feel in, a lot better England, now. Yes. England to win three two, three two. Yeah, the win it. Here we're also, it's interesting. We're, we're we're going for like ex- well, we've all said three two with a bit of four one. Must be thrown well, as, not as, as, as though <laughs> as though it's going to be a really exciting close four Ashes series, which we don't see too many of them at all. Uh, and that would be great, whichever way it goes. Obviously, I want England to win, you, but more than that, you want a really, particularly after what we've had already this summer, you want an Ashes series that like actually gets you involved in the game by game scenario, rather than just being a series of one sided contests, which is what yeah. it's largely been. Yeah, absolutely. Um, even when it was three two here in what twenty fifteen, it wasn't. It was a weird series because England would kind of won it by Trent Bridge and the last test was and a the bit two, of a The two Australia won, they thrashed England. Yeah, what, what we what we need is a classic. We need a classic game. We need a game where it goes down the last at the end of day four. What was the last good Ashes test match? <sighs> yeah. Well, this is it. It's, it's a genuinely tricky question. Uh, Card- Cardiff 2015, that was a good test. I mean, England won by about 100, but had had it not dropped root, that, would, that game could have easily yeah. gone the other way. Uh, 2013. Trent Bridge. Trent Bridge. Yeah, Durham, again, that was a good test match that year. Durham was a good game there. Yeah, so, Australia was favourite with it. One, yeah. So basically, in England, That's you quite get a long the odd time one. Ago. But, yeah. <laughs> but this is it. It's a long so time Three ago. in the last decade. Yeah. Um, earlier, I spoke to betting.betfair cricket correspondent Ed Hawkins, who had a couple of tips for you ahead of the Ashes. Ed, what, what, are, your, your, what are your tips going into the Edge Baston test? Well, I think because of the two teams are quite well matched, um, and I mean, and by that I mean I think they're both weak. Um, they've both got decent bowling attacks, but uh, the batting is flaky to say the least. Whether you're wearing green and gold or three lions, yeah. And that's going to make for a very, very tight series. Um, and if batsmen are struggling to post big scores, and we've got results wickets at these five Ashes Test venues, I can't really see a draw taking place. So. For your correct series score markets, uh, siding with England at 3-2, 
uh, about 7.6 is a good value bet and keeping Australia on your side as well for a 3-2 win makes sense as well and you can get around about 9.2 that's 8-1 to basically in old money and those are two solid interests for the series going ahead Cool, Uh, any other tips? I think there's some bit of value knocking around on top Australia series wicket taker Um, Pat Cummins is usurped Mitchell Stark as favourite on that market as people have wised up to Cummins' superior strike rate there's been a bit of doubt about whether Stark's actually going to make it for the whole series because of James Pattinson's Mm. late run into contention so Pat Cummins because he's a tack leader and he's going to play all five barring injury you can still get about 3.3 on the Betfair exchange for him to be top Australia series wicket taken. His numbers basically in the last two years, he's he's superior to everybody in that team. So he's really, really solid and he can get things to move off the seam and he'll attack with the ball. So Pat Cummins is a really solid bet. Uh, in, in, my, in my eyes, he's the best pace ball in the world. It seems like a very solid bet. Ed, thanks so much for speaking to us. Chat to you, Ed, soon. Cheers, bye. Phil, what was your moment of the week? Well, I was in Chelmsford on Friday to see my first game of the season, actually, in the the England women's um, uh, Ashes. Uh, Obviously, other things have been, you know, front and centre, unfortunately, during the World Cup and so on. So this was actually my first game that I've seen live. My first experience of this latest iteration of the Australia side. I'm no encyclopedia, in truth, on, on women's cricket from what I've seen myself, but I've never seen, with my own eyes, a a cricket team, a female cricket team as complete as this one. Uh, just in the field, they are phenomenal, I thought. And um, Mark Robinson alluded to the the gulf in athleticism and physicality between the two teams. I think he alluded to that maybe after the ODIs or possibly after, after the, the test, test match. After the test match. Uh, well, I'm glad he's recognised that and I'm glad he's open and honest about that. But, but it's staring one in the face when you see the two sides go up against one another in the field. Um, uh, watch Ashley Gardner field at deep cover and it's a, it's a thing of beauty you know she she attacks it hurls it, it gathers and hurls it all in one motion and it's it's flat and hard over the stumps you see Beth Mooney field at long on as well uh, and I haven't even mentioned Lanning who, yeah, who, what, is, who what, is who is a phenomenon what was like what was that like to watch it, Her it was funny three. actually I was it was a really nice atmosphere right and Despite the blowout nature of the game, that didn't really matter too much, I don't think. I was in a, I was in a little, I was watching it as a punter really, and I was in a, I was with a, a group of friends of which there's two teenage girls who are, who are uh, just getting into cricket. One of them plays cricket in Suffolk, um, and she's just getting going, and she's fascinated by the game. Uh, and we were watching Lanning together, and she was transfixed by her, uh, and I said she. She said to me, who, who are the best players? And I said, well, Lanning is the, probably the, the finest, most complete female batsman ever. Uh, uh, so watch her and watch her closely and watch what she does. Watch how, she, how it works on her own. She, she plays the game on her own, her own pace, really. And uh, such was her authority that England's bowlers wilted like, they do in a, in a, like you'd see in a club game when somebody so much head and shoulders above everybody else emerges. They just have to take guard and already they're 50 not out. And she has that kind of aura. Uh, you don't make 133 not out in a 20-over game unless you're a very, very special cricketer. But there was something even deeper going on, I thought, really. Um, and then in the second, ODI, uh, second T20I, uh, England got to 120, had Australia 35 for three. 
And then, yeah, I was and then Perry the and, and then Perry and Lanning just made it look so easy, scoring it well over on the ball without taking any risk. Yeah. Perry is has been the player of the match in four out of the six Ashes matches. Right. In in Lanning and Perry, it's quite hard to compete with any team that have a Lanning or a Perry in him. Yeah, yeah, you know, they are they are iconic cricketers and we talked about generations to come when it comes to women's cricket. And um, England, England star players just Perry and Lanning are, I think are better than any players that England have. But England do have star players of their own who just haven't really turned up in this series like Heather Knight's had a really really difficult run with the bat. Sarah Taylor obviously is not being available to play in the T20s for the continued continue mental health issues. Uh so but that, she was also really struggling on the pitch she was and, and she was and Shrubsall uh, well obviously the two things Shrubsall bowled as, well. as badly as I've ever seen her bowl got dropped on a ch- yeah. so she didn't play on Sunday play, which no. is kind of unthinkable really for to, yeah. to be dropping Shrubsall but based on how she's played totally fair yeah she, absolutely she, was, she went for 50 off her three this overs is what I'm saying though there was like a collective um, surrender amongst the the bowling side bowling attack against against the force of Lanning who Ben Gardner just told me is is now 333 not out uh, in T20s against England, they last got her out in March three years ago. So she's well, no the head three not out <laughs> of two hundred and three balls. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exa- I mean, that's that's beyond Bradman-esque. And Perry uh, is the first cricketer, male or female, to have scored a thousand T20I runs and taken a hundred T20I wickets. Um, but there's the gap in class, but some odd tactical decisions from Heather Knight as well. Why opening the bowling with Georgia Elwis when you? Defending 120 was just an odd move to make. Like, you've got someone like Sophie Eccleston at your disposal. Get in quickly. And I know England took quick wickets later on, but um, yeah, well, that was the, an odd the, decision. the medium paces are absolute fodder uh, in this form of the game on these tracks. Um, definitely the only way that they, can, they could have gone was to take pace off the ball constantly. Eccleston is, is class. Um, Laura Marsh bowled pretty well on Friday in a broadly thankless task. Uh, but it was... It was quite stark. There'll, there'll be an, there'll be a tendency to just pile in on on the English the English setup, and people want their pound of flesh. And in some ways, it's a backhanded compliment to women's cricket that, uh, that that people do feel feel comfortable now in saying, "Well, hold on, this is this has to change and that has to change." But for me, watching it, it was just I was just marvelling at how far this Australian side have taken the game on. It was staggering. But England aren't a bad side; they're still second or third in the world, and it's. Perry and Lanning, they're on, they're, they've got a lot, of, a lot of cricket ahead of them. The next few years, and with the likes of Gardner and Molyneux coming through, this Australia side is the best in the world by quite a long way and seems to be getting better as well. Well, this is it. I, I can't really see how England catch up Australia at this rate. There, are, there don't seem to be the young players coming through. There's loads of potential, but there's not the kind of the star names. We can't wait to see this person playing for England. I mean, the closest probably would have been Sophia Dunkley over the last and couple of years. And she wasn't picked for the And T20s. she hasn't played at all in this Ashes series. And not to be picked even for the T20s, I thought was really surprising. She's had a really good season in, in domestic cricket for, for Middlesex as well. So that, I don't, I don't know the reasoning for that. I don't quite understand it. But it is a concern if the best young talent can't force themselves into a disappointing side who are out of form then there are some pretty serious questions to answer Joe what's your moment of the week mine was here at the Oval uh, last Thursday the first T20 I've been to here this season they're always uh, exciting events obviously quite quite beery events but also lots of every time I seem to watch T20 here something amazing happens uh, and it was a fairly kind of pedestrian first innings from Surrey I think they got 140 
uh, and I was with a few. I brought a few friends along to watch my office who who don't really know their cricket. Uh, so I turned to them and said in my kind of sage way, oh, well, that's, yeah, about 30 runs short here. Uh, and then obviously Glamorgan got bowled out for 44. Um, so I was, my prediction was was way, way off. But that, that um, chase featured Tom Curran taking a hat-trick. Probably test match style hat-trick. It was, well. yeah. Clean bowled the first, a uh, couple of catches from Ricky Clark uh, in the slips. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's been a funny old couple of months for Tom Curran, who hadn't played a game for almost two months since the England warm-up games then it's part of this incredible game-changing thing for English cricket but also on on the fringes of the whole thing so it must have been a kind of uh, combined uh, amazing position to be in but also quite a frustrating one and then he comes back and bowls against Essex and I think concedes 63 from three overs Uh, so it was great to see Curran Kind of back in the wickets, back doing what he does. And he did turn up to work on one of them electronic scooters, though, that was this morning, weird. which was very strange, I thought. He's also got a wicket-taking celebration to rival Imran Tahir now, who, who's obviously <laughs> here at Surrey as well. I think they're going to kind of do races across the oval outfield to see who can go further <laughs> yeah. than they've taken a wicket. <laughs> uh, elsewhere, Joffre Archer was involved in another tie in his comeback from injury for Sussex. Um, he likes a tie at the moment. He took two for 21 from his four overs. His Sussex tied with Surrey. Not a bad bowling attack at Sussex. They've got Reese Topley. Joffrey Archer, Tamal Mills, Rashid Khan, Danny Briggs and Chris Jordan, who isn't playing at the moment. And they've um, also just uh, brought in Alex Carey, right? Yeah. yeah. Who got, got, got runs. Got to be overwhelming favourites for, <laughs> yeah. for the blast. Uh, Mills bowling rapid again as well, to the point where I'm wondering if, if he can keep doing that, he'll be on England's radar for the World T20. Oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah. If he's fit, I think he's he's got to be in their plans. I think England didn't really pick him recently, A, through injury, but B, because they were kind of using the T20s to look at players they wanted to look at for the one day. And yeah. I think now the focus will shift back to T20s. I'd imagine he'd be picked in, in their squads going forward. You'd think certainly a squad, wouldn't you? Yeah. yeah. Um, Elsewhere in the T20 Blast, uh, the, the Durham-Worcester game from the other day was an interesting one. Durham scored 181 from their 20 overs. A good effort. You take that. Um, but Worcester chased it down in 12.1 overs for the loss of just <laughs> one wicket. Martin Guptill scored an unbeaten 86 oh, of just 31 yeah, balls. Nice <laughs> That's what he's going to be saying me. the rest of his career. Isn't it? Oh, I'm yeah. glad he's doing well. He's got over it. Um, big cricket news. Mohamed Amir is retired from Test cricket. He's just 27. Uh, Joe, why has he done that? Um, well, to focus on white ball cricket. That's the official line. That's the official line. Uh, he seems to be about, to, well, the suggestion is he's going to come over and, and live here, um, apply for a passport to come and live in England, which was the impression when you, you interviewed him a couple of years back. Uh, yes. He, he well, he just raved about how much he loved living in England. And, yeah, his, and the, his, his wife is English. Um, uh, she met him during his Southwark Crown Court case and had no idea who he was or or what he was doing in that particular part of London. Uh, he he credits her with having saved him, really. Um, he, he loves it over here. They love him at Essex as well. James Foster said he's the most talented bowler he's ever kept to. Um, he will probably, I imagine, have an eye on becoming uh, an Essex institution over the next few years, I would have thought. Uh, and good luck to him. I like him. I like, I like him as a character. I think he's great to watch on his day as well. I hope he has another two or three years for Pakistan. Um, bowling with the white ball, he was great in the World Cup. Uh, uh, I, I don't question his decision on the on, on Test cricket. Test cricket is probably his best format, though. Yeah, mm, well, statistically, it's not though, is it? In the last, I think he is. No, his last six Tests, he averages twenty one. Is that right? Yeah, he had a he had a lean spell, but then he came back. He like in in helpful conditions. UAE is but worst place to bowl as a fast bowler in world cricket. A lot of players better than Amir are going to struggle there. But you put him in conditions that are good for team bowling. He's brilliant, and there are very few in the world. 
better. Yeah, there's I mean, maybe not that many occasions, though. I don't know what their itinerary is like for the next two years. You know, but, but there's maybe just not enough in there for him to hang around. I don't know. I saw Rami's Raja tweeting that I mean, Pakistan cricket have stood by him. They've been patient with him, and now they need him desperately, really, uh, that they need him to contribute and give something back. And I can kind of, I can kind of, I do see that argument to a certain extent. Although I do think Rami's Raja said at the time that Mohammed Amir should never play for Pakistan ever again. So uh, I'm not sure how those two things yeah. square up against each other. Well, that, that's, I think it's a major shame. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he played a test again. In fact, I think I'd be surprised if he never played a test again. Uh, he's only 27. He could, in four years' time, he could have a rethink. Whenever, Surely whenever Pakistan play in England, there'll be a temptation for him, A, for him to take more test wickets and be for Pakistan and to... And U-turns in Pakistani cricket aren't uh, unheard of, yeah. <laughs> are they? <laughs> Absolutely. Anything else? Yeah, we've got loads, actually. Excellent. Loads. Let's fire through. So the... The first test match of the Ashes at Edgebaston will mark the start of the inaugural World Test Championship. Good. Um, it will see the, the top nine test teams in the world, Australia, Bangladesh, England, India, New Zealand, Pakistan, South Africa, Sri Lanka and West Indies competing 71 tests across 27 series played over two years with the top two teams contesting the ICC World Test Championship final in June 2021 to be played in the UK. What do you think about that? I think it's great. Uh, I would just add... Well, I'd add two things, actually. One, it's unfortunate that there's not exactly the same number of games being played amongst the, amongst the top teams. That is the imbalanced. Schedule's, the, the schedule's nuts. Yeah, <laughs> it is nuts. Uh, that is imbalanced and that there will be quibbles and questions around it. But there aren't really quibbles and questions around who is the preeminent team at the moment, according to the world rankings. You know, India recognise that when they have their peculiar test mace ceremony and England's... March number one was is the subject of a current film, right? So, so it has credibility in and of itself. Uh, and the other thing I would add is that why don't you make it a three test series, right? I get that the eyes of the world in theory. I always have to put that in speech marks when it comes to cricket. But the eyes of the world will be watching that test match at Lords in July or whenever it is in in four years time. But uh, Sorry, two years time. Or two, four years, time. two years time. Sorry, yeah, of course, two years time. But why not make it a three test series? Why not? Why not really build it out and and then it, you legislate for a bit of rain. You legislate for getting skittled in a session and a half on a green one under leaden skies at Lords. Make it a three test series, and then there is there can't be any quibbling really. And my, my issue is where the final is played as well. I think home advantage is is still so significant, uh, and so the top two go and play a test match is it decided at Lords? is that been confirmed yeah. okay well if England finish in the top two say England finish second to India and they get to play India at Lords, that's not a very even way to finish it to me I mean I think but, but they will test, be sharing it around a three test series would be great I'd like a, a each side has a home test if that oh, that could be managed but then obviously that becomes difficult with the with the calendar well exactly and it would be difficult to play a if say is England Australia when do you play that 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 two test series with enough currency and enough closeness of those so, two games? So, it, as with all these things, it doesn't really work. But I don't think a one a one test match to decide this whole thing uh, is enough. No, uh, no, I agree. I'm I'm less concerned. I understand, obviously, home advantage is is clear, uh, but it will presumably be changing around every two years. So it will be on in Australia next time, Sri Lanka the next time, India next time, and so on. I don't think Sri Lanka will be getting. No, one perhaps. No, but, uh, but why, why not? I mean, you know, they've had staged World Cups before. So talk, yeah. talking of Sri Lanka, uh, Sri Lanka and Bangladesh are contesting one of the most meaningless 
series you can imagine. Well, uh, I mean, philosophically, all of this is meaningless. Yeah, but this is particularly meaningless. They're playing a three-match ODI series just off the World Cup. There's no tests, there's no T20Is, just this three-match ODI series. But on the plus side, Avishka Fernando battled like a dream again yesterday. <laughs> there scored, you go. He scored there's a 70, your meaning. He scored a 75-ball 82, uh, continuing where he left off in the World Cup. Uh, he's, he's quite good. And finally, we'll end with Singapore. Singa- Why don't we go off with Singapore? Come on. Oh, ne- next week, next All week right. we lead with Singapore. Uh, so Singapore finished top of the T20 World Cup Asia qualifier standings with Nepal, who who were quite good, um, finishing in third place, which means that Singapore will go to the the, the big qualifier in, the big in Dubai, where there are there are fourteen teams I think playing, and they're vying for six spots at the World T20 or T20 World Cup, sorry, uh, next year in Australia. Uh, do you want to do you want to guess the the thirteen teams that have or well, 12 teams that have qualified so far for the... No, for the it's, it's been a long no. show already. Well, Thanks. so it's Scotland, <laughs> Netherlands, Hong Kong, Oman, Ireland, UAE, Papua New Guinea, Kenya, Namibia, Jersey and Singapore. Um, I'm on the jersey. Yeah, it's been, a, it's been a long show today. Well done for getting the end if, if you have indeed got to the end. <laughs> Phil and Joe, thanks so much for coming on. Pleasure. You, we'll see you next week. If you haven't subscribed already, please do. See ya. Podcast Network. These days, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make all kinds of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more, right here in the USA. So when you buy American Giant, You create jobs in towns and cities across the country. And jobs bring pride. Purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20.